As the ushers are coming down, uh, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. You, you raise your hand if you uh, do not have a Bible, and uh, ushers would love to give you one. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. I'll just share a little bit about myself. If This is a little bit of a story. It was the summer of 2011, and I was living in San Francisco. I recently graduated from the Master Seminary in L.A. and moved to San Fran to work at a church, hoping to get my R1 visa so that I could work uh, full-time as a pastor. As months went by, I realized I was going through some depression, and it was hard. It was harder to do ministry, and it was harder to think about the future in San Francisco. I was dating someone at the time as well, but it was a long-distance relationship. Um, the, the girl was in Michigan, and so I, I felt really lonely. I felt uh, lonely, exhausted, and tired of trying to figure things out in life. I needed the Lord. I needed the Lord's help, but I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to begin. I was fearful. I was fearful of the present, and I was unsure of what my future might look like. So it was in that apartment in San Francisco that God brought me to Psalm 40. He brought me to Psalm 40 in such a personal way. Because all along, I thought I was waiting for answers from God. But in fact, he wanted me to wait for him. He wanted me to dwell in his presence. He wanted me to learn what it meant to be uh, a man of faith and of trust in God. So let's all stand together. We're going to read God's word together. Psalm 40. I'm going to read the entire psalm, but we're going to focus in on just three verses. This is the word of God, a psalm of David, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the, tr the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. 
as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch my life. Those, let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame, because who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Please be seated. Thank you. A great benefit in reading uh, the Psalms is that you can be presented with uh, the many challenges and struggles, trials and emotions of the writer. Uh, the Psalms were written to bring you into the living room of David. It was written to help you understand the power, the love and the mercy of God in the midst of life. Another benefit is that the Psalms present us with the pattern of life that Christians go through uh, in every age. They give us guidance to follow uh, patterns of godliness through to the end. And one of these patterns is the reoccurring theme of darkness and depression and getting stuck. David got stuck a lot. And it was a normal part of his life. It didn't mean that he was weaker or, or more susceptible to failure or disappointment than most. It just meant that he was living out the God-ordained life that he was meant to live. That was by God's grace through faith in him. And I don't know, I don't know about you this morning, but there are so many things in this life that we feel we don't understand stuck with certain circumstances, sins, patterns of life. And we're like, what's going on? How did I get myself into this? Why is this happening to me? We're going to focus on the first three verses of this text. Where, and these three verses are very personal to me. Because in San Francisco in 2011, I was asking the question, where are you, Lord? And sometimes his absence is more real than his presence. Saying, Lord, where are you in times of trouble? Where are you, Lord, when I'm just confused and I don't know what to do? Where are you, Lord? 
The title of this message is The Merciful Rescue of God. And many of you, uh, if you haven't studied in the scriptures, uh, there's, uh, the theme of rescue is all throughout the Bible. God rescues his people from the captivity of the Egyptian army. God rescues his people from the Philistines. God rescues his people throughout the Old Testament and the prophets say over and over again to return to God and you will be delivered. So the theme of rescue should, should flow into this conversation. I certainly needed it. So eight years ago. And it was a very difficult time. So in order to experience the rescue of God, we see three things in these three verses. In order to experience the, uh, the rescue of God, we must first and foremost anticipate and wait for God. We must anticipate and wait for God. Notice what it says here. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. If you have a pen or a highlighter, you can underline, you can underline, waited, patiently, and inclined. It might have a different word in, the, in your version, but you can, you can, you can uh, highlight that or underline it. Because those are the words we're going to focus on uh, in verse 1. I waited patiently. You see, David didn't go and say, oh, you know what, God, I gonna, let me do my research first. Let me Google this. Let me figure this out before I go to you in prayer. Let me, let, me, let me just try something out. Let me ask my friends. Let me call, you know, this person or that. He's, the first thing he did was he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, it's interesting here. Waiting patiently is an interesting combo. I don't know if uh, many of you have experienced, like, trying to find a job and and, uh, and, and you're waiting patiently at the phone or you're waiting patiently on your computer, waiting for that email. Did I get the job? Did I not get the job, right? There's an anticipation there, a happy anticipation, hopefully. You're not like, oh, I don't want this job. No, hopefully you're like, yes, I want this job. So the moment you get the phone call, you just, you listen, you're like, hello? <gasps> I got the job. Woo, okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then you just hang up. You're waiting for the answer, but you're not waiting for the person. You're not waiting for that particular person. You, don't, you could care less. That person from the HR department doesn't really know you. You don't know him or her. That's okay. That's not a big deal. You're just waiting for the answer. And you know what? That's, that's how often we are with God. We just want his answer, but we don't want him. This is the problem, and this is what David is saying. David is saying, he's, he is saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. The presence of God, the power of God, his, not, the knowledge of who he is, is what should flow through our hearts. We should be seeking and knowing and wanting to know him more. That is what it means to wait on God. We're not waiting simply for an answer. We are waiting for him. And this is the, the story of the Christian life. 
is when we put our trust and faith in God, it's not a trust and faith in someone who can give us an answer. It's not a trust and faith in someone who can actually make our life better. No, it's a trust and faith in the God of the universe who loves you and who wants what's best for you and will work in your life. Life depends on him. He doesn't operate on our terms. We depend upon him. We wait upon him. So that hunger and thirst, and this is what happened in that apartment nine years ago when I opened this text. This is what happened to me. I began to to realize I was waiting for the wrong thing. I was waiting for my R1 visa. I was waiting for the uh, NICIS, the, the, the immigration services, to get back to me. I was waiting for the lawyers to get back to me so I could stay in the States. I was waiting for, uh, you know, to figure out my relationship with that girl in Michigan. I was waiting for the wrong things. And God stopped me in my tracks and he asked me, are you waiting for those things? Or are you waiting truly for me? Are you willing to be in my presence? Do you long so much for me? Or are you longing for those other things? It doesn't mean that those things won't happen. But my priority was totally out of whack. I waited patiently for the Lord. Waiting on God. Also, There's also other passages that uh, talk about this. As for God, his ways are perfect. Psalm 18, verse 30. If God's ways are perfect, then we can trust that whatever he does and whatever his timing is, is also perfect. So when we grasp this fact, waiting on God is not only made less difficult, it actually becomes joyful. Waiting on God becomes joyful. And here's another passage. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. And some of you already know where I'm going to go. So verse 29 to 31. Some of you might have this plaque on your, um, in your house or, you know, it's, Probably very well known. Isaiah 40, verse 29, it says this. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he gives increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is the powerful example of the supernatural um, ability of God to work in your life. Those who wait on the Lord, those whose eyes are fixed on God, will mount up with wings like eagles. The power, the the majesty overcoming the clouds and the storms. If you know that uh, much about eagles, eagles fly above the clouds. They fly above the storm. They soar. And you know, like, they, they use the, the, the pressure from what's below to just float and soar. There's nothing, nothing that's going to harm the eagle. The eagle is just cruising because, because, and this is, has to do with us. Because we have hope in God. Because we wait for him. That's what happens. We have strength like the eagle. We have peace like the eagle. Do you want that peace? Do you want that strength today? 
the strength to go through life knowing that your life is in God's hands and he has strength to provide you. Scripture also says that this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us, 1 John 5, verse 14. As parents, sometimes you, you, you really are concerned about your kids. Not, sorry, not sometimes. You're, hopefully you're always concerned for your kids. You're, 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 you're concerned about their well-being, everything like that. And, uh, you know, just say, for example, you're cooking in one room, and then one of your kids just, like, bangs his head on the, on, on the table and starts to bleed. And, you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you hear the cry over there. You're like, oh, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. And then, and then you're, you won't, like, say, okay, just wait 10 more minutes. Dinner is almost ready. No. You're going to be, like, running over, and you're going to incline your ear towards those, that, that person who's hurt, right? The, one of the ch children that, that is hurt. So you're going to go over because you hear their cry. That's the same thing. Those who wait on God patiently, God will incline. And this is like, it's not like you have a giant ear and you can see it and you're like, okay, that's God's ear. No, he hears our prayer. It's by the Holy Spirit that reminds us that he hears us. It's not like I can tell you and say, oh, you know what, God heard your prayer. No, I can't tell you that. Only the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, can reveal to you that he has heard your prayer and that he is with you and that he will never leave you. That is by the power of his Spirit. He hears our prayer. Those who wait patiently for the Lord. The word here, patience, is, is, is um, you can write this down, it's basically confidence, a longing that has confidence. You know, it's not like, um, uh, you know, for example, when you're, when you're um, you know, lining up at a grocery store and you have something else you're doing and you're like thinking about that and you're like, there's a long lineup. You're like, oh, I got to wait. Okay. And you're anxious. That's not patience. Patience is saying, I'm longing and I'm anticipating something good here. And I'm anticipating it with the knowledge that it will all work out. With the knowledge that things will be okay. That's the type of patience. That's the type of longing. It's the longing with the confidence of faith. It's through the lens of faith that we see everything. And that's why God says in his word here, and through David's experience, I waited patiently for the Lord. Because his longing wasn't for an answer. His longing was for God himself. And maybe this morning you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I've never really longed for God. Well, well, you can long for him. How do you do that? Nine years ago when I was, you know, at that church, I prepared messages every week. I was preaching every week. But what I wasn't doing was getting up in the morning and just spending time with God and his word. And I think that's what God convicted me of. It's like, if you want to long for me, if you want to long and if you want to patiently wait for me, you've got to come to my word. You have to look at my word. You have to look at my word. 
longing for God's word. God's word, the Bible, is specifically designed for these seasons of testing. It says actually in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If you can, in so much as just take a few verses every morning just to meditate. Uh, if you, how many of you have the Read Scripture app? Read Scripture, have you heard of that? You should just look that up, not now, a little bit later on, but just read that up, look that up, read scripture, get that app. There's a, there's a video uh, uh, outlining the books of the Bible, but then you can also, uh, you, there's a Bible reading plan that you can go by, and it's just a daily thing. Just looking at God's word and saying, Lord, I wait for you. I, I know these questions and these, these thoughts right now are unanswered. I just, I just want to wait for you, God. That's my focus. That's my passion. Not because I'm saying it and not because you, you, you think it's good. It's because the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures say it. I waited patiently for the Lord. Some of you might say, well, you know, that was David's experience. That's not mine. Well, let me teach you a little bit about what it means to read the Bible through the, through the lens of faith. Instead of looking at the Bible and saying, well, that was his experience. My experience is a little different, so I don't know. It doesn't really relate to me. Well, hang on a second. What if the very things that were written in the scriptures were not for you just to understand and know, but for you to experience? What if these verses right now are not just verses for you to learn, but for you to totally experience in your life? That's what you have to do is you take the verses and you need to make it personal. I waited patiently. This is past tense, by the way. When someone's experienced it in the past, it's hard for us to say, well, it's in, how is it going to happen to me? But just because it happened to David doesn't mean... And it doesn't mean that it can't happen to you, right? I waited patiently for the Lord, for the Lord. There's an anticipation, looking forward. And not only that, um, in order to experience the rescue of God, we must anticipate and wait for God, but we also must recognize and realize his mercy. Let's look at the verse, verse 2. Verse 2, recognize and realize. As, you know, to recognize something is to identify it. Realize it to is, is to experience it. So to recognize is to identify God's mercy. To realize it is to experience his mercy. And I believe that's what it's, is explained here. So verse 2 says, He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps secure. You know how I felt when I read that verse? That's not happening to me, God. I, I, I'm in the pit of destruction. I'm in the miry clay. I can't move. I feel paralyzed. There's things in my life that I just don't know how to handle. God, why? How is this going to happen? But again, through the lens of faith, because it happened to David, it can also happen to you because you believe that's the God we serve. That's the God we know. It's the God who rescues us, who brings us out of the pit of destruction. Now, underline pit of destruction and underline miry bog. 
because that's what we're going to talk about a little uh, today. Jonah, for example, was in the pit of destruction. And it wasn't because he was actually in the fish. It happened before. He went to Tarshish and didn't go to Nineveh because of what reason? Because he actually had, um, uh, he had biases towards against uh, Nineveh because Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. The Assyrian army was going to uh, overtake uh, Israel at the time. And so he was like, no way, I'm not going to go over there to tell them to repent. Because what if they do? They repent and then God's mercy and his loving kindness will cover over their sin? No way. I want them to burn and blip, you know. I want them to, and his self-righteousness was his pit. He had a pit of destruction. And the pit of destruction was his self-righteousness. I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person. I'm not going to witness to that person. I'm not going to witness to that person. That person doesn't deserve my time. It was a pit of destruction. And many of us struggle with a pit of destruction and specific sins in your life that you're not willing to let go. Not willing to let go of the selfishness in your life. The way in, you, the way in which you treat your spouse, you're just like, no, I deserve to say that. I deserve this type of attitude because that person, you know, like, the, look, God is always at work in our hearts. It's, the question is, are you willing? Are we willing? Am I willing? To understand my pit of destruction. And my pit of destruction, I can tell you, in 2011, was trying to handle ministry and life on my own. I was, and and that, that pride was just there. And it wasn't until I was just like, things weren't working out. And I was like, God, what are you doing? And then, now, then I realized I was in a pit of destruction. Psalm 51 verse 14 says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Who said that? David did. After he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then also murdered, pretty much murdered Uriah. Like this is, this is a serious issue here. And then what was his pit? His pit was guilt. Guilt. He couldn't get out of it. And that's why he said to God, deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God. In order to experience the rescue of God, we need to realize and recognize his mercy in the midst of being in the pit. There's many different pits. There's a a pit of despair, the pit of anguish, the pit of grief, the pit of self-destruction, the the pit of addiction, the pit of self-pity, the pit of anger, The pit of bitterness, the pit of selfishness, the pit of fear, the pit of guilt, the pit of sinful behavior, the pit of discontentment, the pit of entitlement. You know Daniel's den, or sorry, that's not Daniel's den, the lion's den, which where Daniel went into, it was a real deep den. Nothing could get him out. It's, it's, this is what it's like. It's like being in a situation where you know there is absolutely no way to get out in your own power. And that's where we need to be because God says, unless you recognize and realize that, I can't rescue you, right? I mean, he rec- this is what David recognized. He recognized that he was in a pit of destruction. Unless I recognize that, I would be like, oh, thanks God for the passage. I, I think that's for someone else. I think someone else is really in a pit, not me. But if you're really honest with yourself this morning, 
we each, we all have pits of destruction. And the question is, will you be willing to recognize and realize what that pit is and to recognize and realize that it is only God who can deliver you? Are you willing? Or are you just thinking to yourself, no, that's for someone else. I think we all need to evaluate and say, Lord, is there a pit of destruction in my life, a cycle of sin, of despair, that entitlement that I've lived with for so many years and the bitterness turned into bitterness, that grief that I haven't let go, that anger that I, that, 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 that I feel, actually because of entitlement, that I feel that I can, I can be angry, right? It's just a cycle of, of destruction. What is that? May the Holy Spirit reveal to you now what that is. I don't know, but God knows, and you know. Sometimes when we're in a pit of destruction, we don't know how to get out. We're like, Lord, I feel paralyzed, I feel depressed. You know, the word despair is used many times in the, the Psalms. Whether it's depression or mental health issue, whether you or a friend is facing, I'm just going to talk a little bit about that now. It's debilitating and paralyzing. And you start to live the rest of your life thinking that it's never going to be okay. Everything is going to be like this and it's not going to be okay. Things aren't going to get better. I had a friend in seminary uh, who lived in Orange County, and uh, L- and I was in LA, and I would used to I used to visit him. It's about two two and a half hour drive down to Orange County, and he used to come to the uh, the school to study and then stay over. Um, and when he went back home, I realized that he was struggling with something far more than I mean. By the way, he was a four point three. GPA type of guy. I mean, it's above 4.0. I, I don't know how you do that, but it's apparently he's really smart, great grades, everything. On the outside, everything was going okay. But deep in his heart, he was struggling, and he didn't know how to get out of his depression. And one day, I got a phone call. He said, Andrew, like, can you please come down? Early in the morning, 9.30 in the morning, I didn't have class that day, but he's like, Andrew, please come down. I really need your help. I'm like, okay, I'll come down. I'm like, what, what, you know, can your parents help you? Is there everything else? Like anyone else who can help you? Like, no, no, you, you have to come down. And when I opened the door, his mom told me that he has been laying on his bed for hours. He can't get up. Literally, physically can't get up because of his depression. In his mind, he kept spinning, spinning. I can't face the day. I can't face today. I can't face today. I can't face today. He held his hands like this. And maybe some of you have experienced that, or you know someone who has. But when I was standing there next to him, all he wanted, and by the way, it took him 45 minutes to get from here to here, sitting up. And all he wanted was someone to read the scriptures to him. So I kept reading the scriptures. And I didn't even know what I read. I just kept reading to him. And it just, he wanted someone to speak on his behalf 
to God because he could not trust God at that moment. It was hard for him. And why do I share that story? It's because sometimes God uses another person in your life or he might use you to help another person to trust God and to wait upon him. Like we, here we are as a church. We, we, we need to recognize and realize that, that, that we're not here just like in, as individuals or as individual families or individual small groups. We are here together as an entire church body, as a gathering of believers. And we need to help lift each other up so that we can learn together to wait on God. This is corporate. It's not just personal. To wait on God is not just an intellectual thing. It's like, okay, I know what it means and then go off and do our own thing and hope God's going to answer within the next 15 minutes. Waiting on God is hard work. Waiting on God is trusting in him. Waiting on God is saying, I'm going to read the scriptures together with my friend for hours. And you know what? Some of you might think, well, you have other things to do. No, no. You have this one thing and that is the most important is you wait on God. And you wait on him because he loves you. And because he loves that you wait, that, that you seek him and that you want to know him. That's the type of relationship David has with God. You might ask them, what, then what does this mean? Like how did he get out? Look at what it says there. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. After waiting on God, he, God drew him up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. Now, I, I was in Oklahoma doing a missions trip, and I, I remember stepping on this uh, clay, this red clay. And if any of you have been down there, it's really, I mean, you don't want to be stuck in this clay because it's just, it's just like incredibly hard to get out. I mean, you're, 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 you're standing there, and then afterwards you're like, trying to pull yourself out, and then your feet just come out. I mean, it doesn't matter how, how tight you tie the shoes or whatever. It, it's, it's like you're stuck. You're like, oh, I can't move. And that's how we feel, right? And that's how David felt. He can't move forward. He can't get, he can't get his life going. That's how I felt in 2011. I just like, I don't have a full-time job. I'm waiting for my visa. I'm not sure when I'm going to be married. Um, my family's in Toronto. Uh, I mean, just, Lord, I'm not moving forward. I'm just stuck, and I'm in this miry clay. I'm not just in a pit of destruction. I'm stuck. And God, in, his, in the word, David says, he set my feet upon a rock. I can just picture this. Listen, I can just picture this. The, the mighty arms of God coming and just grabbing you and lifting you up from the miry clay and just setting your feet on a rock. Yeah, there might be some muddy stains, but you're on rock. You're on solid ground and you can walk and you can go forward and you're free. This is our, this is our God. Our God is the one who desires to have mercy upon us. He wants to show us his mercy. He wants us to experience his mercy, to realize his mercy, to recognize his mercy. He set my feet upon a rock. I had a next door neighbor in, uh, in L.A. who, who is, 
um, schizophrenic. He struggled a long, t- a long time with uh, bipolar disorder and, and, and schizophrenia. And I became his friend while in seminary. It was, uh, and he, he's a big guy. He's like 250, like 6'3". Uh, he was a boxer. So no one wanted to like mess with him. And I, I was just like, okay, well, I'll be your friend. You know, I just wanted to just like, you know, um, and I was really, I, I had, I just, I don't know why. God brought a lot of different people into my life during that time. I don't know why, but he brought this person in my life. And uh, I remember um, many instances where his, his mom and dad had to call the cops because he was throwing things around, breaking stuff, and just going nuts in the house. Um, and... Uh, you know, just a lot of things going on. And he was taking medication and, and all that. And, and, and one day he gives me a call. And he says, Andrew, come over to my house. And, and, I, and it's like 12 a.m., 1 a.m. in the morning. I forget. Like it was just some absurd time. And then he said, I, I went over to his house, which is just next door. And uh, the, all the windows were open. And like he cranked up the, the, the sound system. And he was like blasting music. And I said, uh, where are your parents? He, they said, he said, oh, they left. And, and then he was sobbing. He was crying. And he said, I, I just don't know what to do. I am taking this medication, but I just don't know how to live. And it was at that time that he lay on the ground, and I prayed with him, and he prayed this. He said to God, he said, Lord, I just pray that, that my parents will know that it isn't the medication that made me better. It is, it is you who makes me better. Like, and it was, I don't know how you worded it, but that's exactly what he said. And I was blown away. Because at that moment, at, it was at that moment that I realized God's working in his life. God is powerful. He works in the person's life no matter what disease, no matter what mental illness, no matter what happens in their life. He brought him out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. God is faithful to do that. He's faithful, and he is faithful to do that for you. And finally, not only is God faithful to, to, to show us his mercy, but finally, you know, in order to experience the rescue of God, we, we must share and declare his goodness. God is not just about the process of you waiting upon him and trusting him. And that, that's the mechanism. That's the, that's the, that's the way in which we, we find God rescuing us is when we trust and put our faith in him and wait for him. Yes, and then he does rescue us. He does bring us out of the miry clay. But the, but the ultimate uh, reality is that he's doing this for his glory. Notice what it says here. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. God here is the one who, here is the one, here he is the one who puts a new song in David's mouth. And David's a musician, right? But I'm sure that when he went through the pit of destruction, he wasn't singing all these praise songs. He was probably singing, you know, a song of despair, a song of depression, a song of, you know, hopelessness. But God, in his word, provides us that, 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 that we 
When we wait on him, he not only rescues us, but he will give us a new song. I don't know when that song's going to come into your life. It might not be just a song. I just, it's interesting, I spoke to somebody right after the, um, the first service, and she wrote a song years ago on Psalm 40. That was amazing, because she was going through something. But God brings a new song into our life, a song of praise to him. It's a testimony of his goodness. God puts things in your life for purpose. That purpose is not just to experience faith and trust in him and to experience redemption and deliverance, but it's to experience praise, a praise that is no other, a praise that is so customized, so customized. No one can take that away from you because when you know that God's worked in your life, when you know that he's rescued you, when you know that he's taken you away from all those habits and addictions and all the things in your life that trap you, when you know and you believe and you have that experience, the only results of that is praise. The only result of that is praise. That's why it's so, I love, the Lord is so logical. He is so, this is such a beautiful psalm. Because God is the one who rescues us and he is the one who brings us this new song. Notice what it says here, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. May your testimony of how God has worked in your life, how, he's, how you have waited upon him, how, you've heard his, how he's heard your cry, may that testimony be fuel for evangelism. May that testimony be the, the fuel for, you know, evangelism is not just about telling people about Jesus. Evangelism is telling them the truth about Jesus, but how Jesus has impacted your life, how Christ has, has, has changed your life, how the Lord has delivered you from things. So many will see and fear. And put their trust in the Lord. So I close with this. You look at this. Look at these three verses. It's past tense. I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. It's hard to read these verses and think future tense for yourself. That's why we need to trust that when God works, he will work according to his plan. And for David to write this was God's plan. And for David to go through this experience was God's plan. And for you to go through this experience is the Lord's plan as well. Be, know that this is the path. That you can wait on God. And you can trust him. And you can long for him with all your heart. And, the, and the, he can and will deliver you at his time. And that he will put a new song in your mouth. That others may see and hear how good he is.
Let's remember that.